1: hold anything too tightly just wish for it want it let it come from the intention of real truth for you and then let it go
0: for me our soul is like it's unbound it's limitless but we will use words to limit ourselves when people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is The Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Eric Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today.
1: Today's guest is Liz O'Donnell. Liz is the founder of Working Daughter, a community for women balancing elder care, career, family, relationships, and life. She is the author of Working Daughter, a guide to caring for your aging parents while making a living. Today, Liz and I explore the struggles caregivers face when they're a part of the sandwich generation. Adults who are responsible for caring for both their aging parents as well as their dependent children at the same time. Liz explains how the pressure of caregiving often falls on women or people that identify that way and why she believes there can be an upside with the right tools, support, and planning. Okay, let's get to my chat with Liz O'Donnell. I'm excited to talk with you today because I feel that what you have so much expertise in is something that so many people I know in my life are just starting to get acquainted with. And it's it's this concept of being a member of the sandwich generation. And I, I really would love for you to explain what that is and also explain kind of what your journey has been in terms of how it's impacted you to be a part of that generation.
0: Yeah.
2: So the sandwich generation is mostly Gen Xers, but happening to everybody. And it's basically people who are caring for aging parents and children at the same time. I also meet a lot of people who are caring for grandchildren and adult children at the same time. We've got 10,000 people turning 65 every day in this country, and it was the baby boomer's age. And we're living longer on average, which means we're probably living with chronic illnesses because we're living longer. And we have a shortage of paid caregivers in the country. So family members are doing the bulk of care in this country. And it's very challenging, and it's especially challenging when you're also trying to raise your own family. And I came into it because I was living, you know, typical busy working mom life thought I couldn't add anything more into my life just as a working mother. And my parents were in the 80s, they were needing more and more care. I call that the caregiver creep. It's when you start to help your parents out with me, it was like mowing the lawn and taking the grocery shopping. And then the number of pills they took were overwhelming. So I'd go down every weekend and sort, you know, their medicine into those little plastic bins and all of a sudden I wake up one morning and I'm so stressed out, I'm so maxed out and I don't know why. And I think this is a really important distinction between elder care and child care, which people often conflate, but they're actually very different. And with child care, especially for professional women, we often think about starting a family, we plan for it, we think about, you know, what it's going to do to my finances, my body, my home. We make physical space in our life, you know, we prepare the nursery you know, what's the best time for my career with elder care, it just creeps up on you. It's not something I mean, I didn't I grew up playing with baby dolls, I never grew up thinking about someday I'm going to take care of my aging parents. And so all of a sudden, your lives are already so busy. And then this is jammed into it. So I was experiencing the creep. And then the other thing that often happens to people is the crisis. So you get the call, someone's been rushed to the hospital, there's been a fall, there's a bad diagnosis. And as I was going through the creep, crisis hit. And that was both of my parents were diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the exact same day. So my dad was in the hospital and I was told he had Alzheimer's and I needed to find memory care for him. He couldn't go home. And my mother had been rushed to another nearby hospital with stomach pains. And before I even left the parking lot of the first hospital, the doctor at the next hospital called and said, can you come over? Your mother has stage four ovarian cancer. She probably has about three months. And this is something I think you should be there to tell her.
1: Wow. That is a very intense way to come into that role. You really didn't get a chance to metabolize any of that.
2: Right. And, you know, I, I'm a writer, so I wrote a book about it, but as I go around and I speak to other caregivers, it's not that uncommon a story. There are many, many people out there raising their own children, working full time and caring for two parents who were sick at the same time.
1: How did you navigate that dynamic between both of your ailing parents?
2: I had this amazing experience. So I moved my dad into a memory care facility, which is like a locked care facility for people with cognitive issues. And I ended up moving my mother into the same facility, but on the other side, which was assisted living because My parents lived an hour away from me. And with this diagnosis, I wanted them closer. So I moved her up to be near me. And one day early in, I met with a hospice nurse trying to determine if my mother was ready for hospice care, which is end of life care. And I was really stressed out. You know, all of a sudden I'm thrust into this role, as you said, and I'm figuring out like bills and wills and hiring an elder law attorney. And do my parents have enough money for these rents that I'm paying and trying to go to work? And and just so I walk in one day, just really feeling sorry for myself in a bad mood. And I meet this hospice nurse to evaluate whether or not my mom is ready to be on hospice. And in the conversation, I realized that this nurse made the assumption that I as the daughter could be with my mother 24 seven as she needed care as the cancer progressed. So I asked her to step out into the hall. And I said, listen, I have a full-time job. I have two kids at home. I haven't been home for dinner in weeks. My dad's down the hall, locked in memory care facility. I have a career, not a job. And I don't appreciate that you make the assumption that I have nothing else to do. I don't like you and I don't want to work with you. And then I burst into tears because I was just so overwhelmed. And this nurse leaned in and she said, listen, I get it. She was a single mother with two teens. She's like, I understand the pressures that you're under. So here's what we're going to do said, your dad, you're not going to worry about him. He's with professional caregivers. He'll be okay. Your mother really only has a few months. You know, I see this all the time. I know what I'm looking at. So you don't worry about your dad. Worry about him later. Your mother needs you right now. She said, your kids and your husband, you don't worry about them. You don't need to be home for dinner every night because being here with your mother is modeling for them what unconditional love looks like. And it was so moving for me to hear her say that and then she said but your job you you can't lose that i was the breadwinner for our family she's like so let's come up with a new plan so she really listened to me saw me and helped me compartmentalize like this is the crisis this is what we have to focus on now these are the things that can wait
0: let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners to me has a soft side
2: Discover their new Asra bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Asra is the bag to carry for your nine to five and the five to nine plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Tumi's signature.
0: Shop the full Asra collection on Tumi.com or at a Tumi store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation.
1: We often underestimate the the power that care providers have in this process of becoming a caregiver being able to say hey i've seen this before and being able to kind of set you on a new on a new path and 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 speaking of new paths how did your relationship change with your parents during this process
2: Uh, Well, with my mother, it was another sort of really powerful shift, which was, you know, mother-daughters sometimes were just a little fraught in our relationships, right? I mean, nothing dramatic, but you might walk into the room and your mother says, oh, you know, did you do something different to your hair. And you're thinking, she doesn't like my hair, but she could just be complimenting it. Who knows, right? But you know, that that sort of tension, I think, that a lot of mothers and daughters have. Well, when my mother, she was eventually moved into a hospice home and she had a full-time staff taking care of her. And at that point, there was nothing more for me to do, but to just be with her. And it was the most amazing experience and one that I wish I could carry through, you know, all of my relationships with not wait till the end to feel this way. But when all of a sudden, all you have to do is just be with someone, nothing else matters. And like, you really find that true connection with someone. So that was a a pretty amazing experience with my dad. It was harder because he, he was stubborn and my father, not my mother. So I couldn't I couldn't do as much hands-on caring for him. You know, I couldn't clean him and bathe him and help him with things like that. He didn't always listen to me. But we had, you know, we ended up having a nice relationship and he really appreciated the care and the, the time I was giving him and the time I took away from work and that sort of thing. You often hear people talk about elder care as parenting your parents, and that's just not something... I subscribe to. It's not a term that I embrace. Because one, you're dealing with adults who've lived full lives. If there is no cognitive decline, well, they should have autonomy and a say in you know, how they live their life and how they're cared for. And so I, I wish that we could, instead of thinking about it as a parenting the parent, think about you know when we're children, we have a child-adult relationship if we're lucky, our, as we grow up, our parents allow us to have an adult-adult relationship with them. And maybe this is just a third paradigm that we all need to learn, which is just a you know adult child to aging parent paradigm. And it doesn't have a term that we all understand because we're still new and talking about it, but I think we need to look at it in a different way.
1: Speaking of paradigms, you talk a lot in your book about how becoming a caregiver can be a silent productivity, career, and friendship drain, how do the people in your life closest to you initially respond to this big shift in your life?
2: For me, everything, I took on all of this so quickly, and I'm a logistics person. You know, At, at the height of my crisis, I had a, an Excel spreadsheet that I was keeping, and it had 196 items on it at its height. So I would wake up in the morning, I'd open that Excel spreadsheet and I'd highlight the things that had to happen that day, call the elder law attorney, sign the lease at the assisted living, You know, pick up meds, whatever it might be. So I think my personality was such, and I think a lot of the daughters who take on this role have similar personality types where we're like, I just need to get stuff done. So probably the people closest to me felt like I ghosted them. You know, I was just like, no time, no time at all. Certainly in my marriage, My husband was great. He did all the right things. Like he got the U-Haul and he moved my parents' furniture. He moved my mother, you know, from her house up to the assisted living. And three weeks later, when she had to move to hospice, he got another U-Haul and he moved everything out and he took over all the finances for me. But he said all the wrong things. You know, he was always like, you're going to see them again. And why don't you have your sisters do more? And it put a real strain on our marriage the first time around. The second time around, so the second time that I'm describing is after my mom has passed, my dad's doing okay for a few years. And then his dementia really kicks in. And all of a sudden I'm back in that crisis mode of hospitals and canceling business trips and running out in the middle of the night. The second time I stopped and I said to my husband, like, this is the man, the other man that I love. He is so important to me. I'm going to show up for him like a warrior. And this is what I need from you. And what a huge difference. Like the first time I just ran out the door and expected him to understand and pick up all the pieces and he did, but it was stressful. And the second time I told him what I needed and, you know, asked him for his help. So that was a huge, huge difference.
1: It's interesting. It's as if what loss of your mother and her decline in health was almost a practice run. And then moving through care for your father was were more, more aligned because there was an understanding of where it would go and what it would be like there's more of a roadmap.
2: yeah and that you know that's what sort of breaks my heart and part of the reason the work i do uh, you know drives the work i do is all of these women taking on this role and men too but mostly women all reinventing the wheel And, you know, it shouldn't be that way. And so, you know, grateful for any conversation like this, where we could start to talk about it and prepare people for it, because we all go out there and figure it out on our own. And that's just not the way it should be.
0: Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host.
1: In your book, you point out that the United States is one of 13 countries in the world that does not guarantee pay time off and that many workers are not covered by Family Medical Leave Act or FMLA, which means that if they have to take the day off to take care of their parents... They lose a day of pay. They lose a day of work. And all of that really makes me wonder, what are your suggestions for folks that are in that situation in terms of being able to ease the burden of caregiving?
2: I would say... One of the I think mindset is a huge part of caregiving. You know, we are dealing with aging, we're dealing with illness, we're dealing with dying, we're dealing with other people. Those are all things that we can't control. There's the only thing we can control in this world really is ourselves, right? So I find the 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 mindset you bring to caregiving makes a huge difference. And in the case of your career, your job, and balancing it with care, understanding that this is a blip, it's not necessarily fair that caregiving comes in and impacts our lives and oftentimes for women it impacts our careers at a time when we're in our peak earning years or if we step out you know in our 40s it's hard to get back in so it's a scary time to have something impact your job and at the same time you know caring for our families is some of the most important work we'll ever do in the world so trying to put into perspective that you know it stinks this happened it's hard that this happened and it is happening so this might not be the time to push for that promotion and or maybe this you know is a really important time in your career and that's okay too. You know, it's sort of like when we look at motherhood and all the options people have, you know, we we all have to have the space and the permission to do it the way we want to do it. And recognizing too, that this is a period in time. I think it's really important that we try to stay in our jobs if we can through caregiving, because like I said, if you step out, it's very difficult. Women on average live longer than men. We already lose significant income as a result of family caregiving you know, so that's less money we're putting into retirement. So really important if we can keep ourselves in the job in some way that we do that. You know, what frustrates me is that the work I do is helping other women figure out how to approach caregiving because there is no support system around this. What I'd rather be doing, quite frankly, is talking to businesses, to politicians, you know, to healthcare administrators saying, this is what you need to do to make it better. But until that happens, and as that's happening, then there are some things that you know we as women can do to, to navigate this.
1: I want to go back to something you said about your husband, that he did all the right things, but didn't say the right things. What would be the right things to say if you're a partner whose partner is going through a caregiving experience, or just as a friend or a coworker, you know, what are things that you would have found helpful during that time?
2: I find that caregivers just, they want to be seen. It's such an invisible role from so many levels. It's an invisible role because we don't talk about it that much, especially from an elder care perspective. If we're parenting, right, we have mommy and me groups, we have mom blogs, we have mom conferences. We, you know, it's something that's comfortable to talk about at work. We're talking about disease, dying illness, you know, not something we necessarily talk about in the office or, you know, over a glass of wine with our friends, So we're invisible from so many standpoints. So just to be seen by your friend, your spouse, your partner, like, Hey, I know this is hard. I see what you're doing. Is there anything I can do to help just makes a huge difference. I published a text in the book that I got from my husband one day when I was off dealing with my parents, their doctors, I don't know who. And, um, he, you know, he was really big on how the dishwasher is stacked, and I never stacked it the right way. And he sent me a text about that. And I can't repeat it on air, but I published it in the book. You know, I wrote back and there were a lot of F's and C's and Ks, and you know, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I am dealing with my mother who's dying, and you're talking to me about the dishwasher. But his life was continuing on the same trajectory. So that's what happens.
1: Continuing with communicating about this experience. As a parent yourself, what kind of conversations are you having with your children in terms of supporting them around eventually being able to support you? How do you start those conversations?
2: Yeah, in a sense, my kids were lucky that they had such an up-close look at caregiving. I allude to this at the end of my book, but my husband actually got pancreatic cancer a year after my husband died and I cared for him and he passed away a couple of years ago. So I was also a spousal caregiver. So, you know, obviously I'm so sorry. Thank you. Appreciate that. So obviously my kids have had a tough run of it, but you know, if we ever look at, you know, what's positive to come out of things, you know, they've, they've seen up close and personal illness and caregiving and, you know, the role family members can play. So, you know, they're acutely aware of, you know, my mortality and the work that I do. So, you know, part of me and many caregivers say to me, like, I will never put my kids through this. What can I do to plan? And so, you know, I've done the will and I've appointed the healthcare proxy and I have all of my information in one place and the people who would ever have to step in, you know, know where all that information is and where they can find my passwords and all of that good stuff. But then at the same time, now that, you know, I'm I'm a widow, I'm constantly saying like, get a good job, take care of me. (laughs) everything I I said I would never do. But I think it's so healthy that we do have these conversations with our kids and our kids do have these conversations with us. And that's part of the challenge for so many people who are in elder care right now. You know, these are just not topics we'd like to talk about, but it is a gift when parents and children know what the plan is.
1: Speaking of plans, it makes me want to ask you how you took care of yourself during those periods of intensive caregiving, what did you do and what would you suggest to someone going through this right now, if they're right deep inside of it, how do you still show up for yourself?
2: Yeah, well, physically, I didn't do a good job of caring for myself for the longest time. I was, you know, get up, look at that spreadsheet, drink coffee, continue to drink coffee, find some sugar to keep me going during the day, and then have a glass of wine at the end of the day to... To counter the caffeine and the sugar high eventually somebody said you know you need to take care of yourself which i talk about as the six or seven most annoying words you could say to a caregiver because we're acutely aware that we need to care for ourselves if we go down you know who's going to care for the people we're caring for but the question is always how so this friend of mine said well why don't you start by hydrating so I started carrying a water bottle and it was just a simple act, you know, drinking water throughout the day instead of just drinking caffeine. And that tiny little step led to me taking my, I call, we call them sneakers in the Northeast trainers, right? A pair of trainers and leaving them in the trunk of my car. And so, you know, if my mom or my dad were sleeping and I was, you know, sitting vigil or visiting them, then I'd throw those shoes on and walk around the neighborhood or the hospital or the local track or that kind of thing. And little steps just sort of added up. Eventually there was a weekend. I remember I actually went away with my husband and my kids which was terrifying because you feel like you have to be there controlling everything. But I found the tiny little physical steps I took or physical self-care kind of emboldened me to take on more. And they weren't huge tasks. They were just really small things but helped live a bit of a healthier lifestyle than the one I was living. The other thing is I thought about, and I encourage other caregivers to think about what your post caregiving life is going to look like, and, you know, and that can be guilt inducing. Like, so you're asking me, Liz, to think about like, what I'm going to do when they die. Like that feels uncomfortable. But I think if we think about that, okay, this is a moment in time. It may be years for some people, maybe months for some, but what do I want to have happen in my life? Or where do I want to be when this is over? And then you can make decisions based on that. And they might be baby steps, like. I need to stay employed. So, okay, what do I need to do to not lose my job through this? And I don't want to end up in the hospital sick after this. So what are those steps I'm going to take right now? Or I don't want my marriage to implode as a result of this. So, you know, what am I going to do to maintain my relationships and just figure out what the minimum is that you can do for your post, you know, set yourself up for a good life post caregiving. But the main thing I did, and I didn't realize it until I had already written the book and now I'm caring for my husband was this mindset stuff it was constantly reframing how i was thinking about caregiving i originally approached caregiving as a victim i'm the youngest of three sisters it's not supposed to be the youngest i'm the least compassionate why is it me after that conversation with the nurse i mentioned I, you know I, I moved from sort of martyr to heroin. I was like, you know, I got this. I can do this. This woman believes in me. And I'm lucky that I have the skills to be the one to care for my parents. You know, instead of, I, I forced myself every day to find something that was good. I used to think gratitude practices were just silly. And now I find that they actually really make a difference. There's always something positive and constantly reframing the situation I was in helped me really manage my own energy around caregiving.
1: Liz, this has been such an empowering and important conversation There's so much that you've said that even in a few minutes, I feel more supported around potentially negotiating this experience myself. And I'm really hopeful that anyone who's listening, who's either going through this or has anxieties about this, because I imagine for some people, it's the, it's not the, if it's more, the when Mm -hmm. that they are able to read your book and also find a sense of almost have a a little bit of a compass after this conversation
2: yeah I think it's really important to remember that it's a choice and a lot of working daughters say to me you know you, you think I chose this of course we don't choose for somebody to get sick we don't choose for it to impact our jobs our careers but we are showing, we are choosing to show up. I mean, technically you could walk away, right? So I think back to mindset, it's really important that if you are going through it, if you do take it on, remember that you chose to take it on and remind yourself what you're doing well, because it can be so overwhelming.
1: Thanks for tuning in to today's conversation with Liz O'Donnell. For more, head to workingdaughter.com and pick up a copy of her book, working daughter. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.